today we're going to finish up this last beatitude that Jesus gives, this last kind of um, picture of, of what a follower of Jesus looks like. And so um, we come to blessed are the persecuted for, uh, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I think just off, off the bat, I think probably for most of us, um, it's important that we acknowledge that this is a, a bit of a foreign subject for, for most of us. Um, and as I was thinking about and kind of preparing for this and, and thinking about what that means, I kind of just got to this place where I, where I realized that I've never probably really experienced persecution in that way. Um, I've, I've probably experienced some discomfort or maybe some... Um, you know, some, some lack of preference throughout uh, some of that having to do with me being a follower of Jesus. But what Jesus says here about being, being persecuted for his namesake, um, that is, that is a, a foreign concept. Um, and, and probably for a lot of us in our country, that's it's a very foreign idea. And so hopefully as we look at this today together, um, this will be a learning experience for all of us. Um, and I just wanted to say off the bat, like I'm right there with you guys um, as far as understanding this, this concept of persecution and, and what does that look like. And, and in our culture, in our context where our lives are not at stake, um, we probably are going to have to to redefine what does persecution look like, or at least what is the context that Jesus was talking about when he said, "Blessed are those who are persecuted." Um, and I think I think maybe one of the areas that may strike home with most of us today as we think about this is uh, the question: Are you good at making enemies? Because that's really kind of at the core a lot of what Jesus is, is going to say and, and what Jesus had already said and what he was about to say in other parts of the gospel is that if you follow after Jesus, it's going to bring conflict in some level. There are going to be people that are going to be opposed to what you have to say just based on the fact that it's the words of God, that it's Jesus, that it flies in the face of everything that they believe in and everything that they're about. And so how good are you at making enemies? Um, and that's, that's a question that I pose to myself as much as I do to you this morning. Because I, I can tell you, I, I really struggle with that. Um, it's, it's really easy to make friends, right? I mean, it's, it's really easy in our culture, I think, to, to be kind and considerate and to do what people expect of you and to say the things that you know people want to hear. Right, it's 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 a lot easier, I think, a lot of times for us to go into situations and to just put on a front or be the person that they want us to be, even if that somehow is in conflict with what we know Jesus has called us to do. I think that's a lot easier, at least for me personally. It's easier to to go in and just kind of be kind and understanding and friendly. But how well do I do at going into a situation and speaking truth when, when I know that that's going to be, that's going to cause a rift in a relationship? How good am I at going in and, and telling, something, telling someone something they need to hear, not just what they want to hear? For, for me in my life, that's, that's been the harder part of this. Knowing that when I, when I speak the truth and when I represent Jesus in a way to people, that it's going to bring uh, some sort of conflict into the relationship. That's a challenge. That's a challenge for me. Um, I don't know if any of you guys in this room, I'm a people pleaser. Like, I'm the first one to admit that, right? I like being liked. I like people um, saying, you know what, Rustin, I, I enjoy 
hanging out with him. I, I like hanging out with him. And, and I know that in my life, if I'm honest, like there are certain things that I can say and do that give people that perception of me, right? Um, I, I like um, keeping the peace between people. I don't like conflict naturally. I, I enjoy getting along with people and enjoying those relationships, right? Um, and whenever I have to, to go into conflict, that's, that's a challenge for me. Um, so as we get confronted by, by, this, by this idea of what does it mean to be persecuted and, and um, you know, for, for the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, uh, I think we have to realize that, that as, we, as we look at this concept of persecution, this is persecution because of Jesus. It's because of the name, because of the gospel. This is why this persecution is going to come. Um, and that's what, what we need to talk about. And so, so just kind of curs- you know, cursory kind of topic here, starting us off. What is, what is this persecution that Jesus talks about, right? When he says, blessed are the persecuted. Um, what does that mean? What's, what's he talking about? So this word persecuted here, it literally means uh, to follow after or to press hard after something. It's literally like pursuing after something that's fleeing away. Um, it's not just that you are, um, you know, pursuing someone, but it's like if that person's running away, trying to get away, that you're chasing after that person. You know, I think about like, it's like that apex predator, you know, that sees that, that injured wildebeest or whatever it is, you know, in that like, you know, geographic, National Geographic, uh, you know, documentary or whatever, right? And it sees the, the, the limping or the lame animal or whatever. And it's not just content to let that thing just kind of limp on back to the pack and just kind of go on, right? But it, but it chases after it, it stalks after it. And that's really what this word means is that there's going to come persecution that's going to come after us. It's, it's not just that, um, you know, someone may say something that's going to hurt our feelings um, that we don't like. This is more the idea of there's an intentionality, um, an intentional conflict that's coming that way. I think it's also important to realize what is, what's, what's, why is this persecution coming? Well, Jesus says that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right? It's not just it's not just being persecuted for no reason, but it's on the account of righteousness. Um, it's because we're modeling and living Christ out in our lives. That's why persecution is coming. Um, it's not just persecution just because someone doesn't like you, not because of a personality conflict or anything like that, but it's persecution because of Jesus, on the account that you're living, something in your life is reflecting Jesus, and that is flying in the face of someone else. That's why the persecution comes, because it is in opposition to maybe a belief system or something that they hold on to. Um, I, I love this this quote that I, that I heard, and I think it's so true of our culture, um, and it's this. It says, the greatest criticism of the church today is not that no one wants to persecute it. Uh, be, let, me, let me try that again. Uh, the greatest criticism of the church today is that no one wants to persecute it because there is nothing uh, very much to persecute about it, right? It's this, it's this idea that, could it be possible that the church isn't seeing persecution because there's nothing that much alive within the church today that people are wanting to persecute it? Is it have we become just so culturally uh, acceptable of everything that there's nothing distinct enough about us that people want to persecute the church today? Can we take that and, and reflect that on our, our lives? Like, do we live such safe lives that there's nothing in our lives that people would want to persecute? 
right? Because there's nothing in our lives that's going to fly in the face of something that they believe. Our culture is very, very obvious about what they believe and what they accept and what they hold to. And a lot of those things are very, very opposite of what Christ has said. But yet, are our lives lived in such a way that it flies in the face of our culture that would bring persecution to us? And ultimately, we ask, well, why, right? Why, why would they persecute us, right? You think about, I mean, think about what we just talked about, right? This, this list of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, someone who is broken over their own sin, someone who, who would mourn over their own condition and realize that, you know what, I bring nothing good to the table. And that would then lead that person to become meek, right? Someone who is, who is controlling these inner urges um, as, they, as they live their life. And then someone who is hungering and thirsting to be like the lowly and caring Jesus. Um, and then that leads to being merciful, seeing other people, right, who, who have a need and that you realize because of the great mercy that God has shown you, now I'm going to be merciful to that person. And, and then to be pure in heart, to only be focused on God. And then as, as Ross and Sam did such a good job last week of explaining the peacemaker, right, the one that is, that is because, because God has made peace with man, now I get to come in and, and pick up those broken pieces and, and start to make peace between man and God. Why would somebody want to persecute them, right? That seems like the kind of person that everybody would be for and everybody would be like. But the simple truth is they're going to persecute us because they persecuted Jesus, right? They, they, they're going to persecute us, Christians, followers of Jesus, because they persecuted Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells us this. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 15. And um, before, we, before we read that, though, um, I just got to tell you, like, one of the things that um, really stuck out to me on, on our trip this week is um, we, we, Nicole and I kind of sat down and we were like, hey, um, we probably need to just recognize that we have five kids and this is going to be a busy week for us. And, and most of the time when we go to the beach, like, we, I have all of these plans and these ideas of things that I want to accomplish, right? I usually bring a stack of books. I have, you know, all this. So in my mind, I'm still going back to pre-five kids, you know, where it's just like you were sitting around all day reading books and sitting out in the sun and all that stuff. And then the reality just somewhere hit us this year as we were driving down of like, we have five kids. That's probably not a realistic expectation to happen. Um, but, but I kept getting pressed in like to, that, I, that I wanted to read this, this book that I had brought. And so I decided that I was just going to get the Audible book because we had like a five-hour drive back and forth. And, um, and I was reading this book, and, and the, the guy who was writing the book just says, when did it not become enough just to read the Word of God? Like, when we come together as the church, when did it not become enough for us just to, to read the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak to us? When did we get to a place where now we have to have a, a comedian come up and, and tell us a bunch of jokes, and, and that we have to have all of this music and all of this stuff, and when did it become not enough just to have the Word of God and let that speak to us. And, and that's really just like, I, I haven't been able to let go of that this week as, as I've just been thinking about that and, and thinking about that. And so that's probably going to be reflected because I have a lot of scripture uh, in here for us to go through together. Um, and, and how I would like to do that this morning starting out is I would just like us to go ahead and get, uh, we could probably do two groups, kind of just divide and make a couple groups this morning. And, and I want us just to look together at John 15, 18 through 25. Um, and just someone in your group, like read that for your group. And then just kind of discuss, like, what is Jesus saying here about the expectation that we should have as far as it goes uh, with persecution? 
Um, and so let's just take a few minutes and do that and just allow God's word to speak to us about that. So welcome back. Um, so, so why, what, what did, what did you guys, like, what did y'all get from, from that, from that passage as we were, as we looked over what Jesus is saying in John 15, what, what stood out? What's big from that that we need to acknowledge as far as persecution goes? he tells us up front he warns us up front we're going to be hated okay we're going to be persecuted and why is that okay so early on i mean in the in the passage jesus makes it very clear that if the world's gonna if it hates you realize that it it hated him first right Mm -hmm. and so because you if you look and smell and act and and reflect jesus in any way the world is going to hate you right because it just hated him um, and I think that I think that drives us to the next question we need to look at as we look at persecution is well, why did the world hate Jesus right why was Jesus so persecuted right because if 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 what our kids storybooks about Jesus is true right if he's just this uh, very gentle and, and docile kind of man with long flowing locks that just picked up the children and and had all of these tender moments like what what about that do people hate I think we have to realize is that the gospel in and of itself, Jesus and, and what he says in the gospel demands a response, right? The gospel, the gospel is never something that you just kind of give without expected response to the gospel. Um, whenever the gospel is given, there has to be a response, either accepted or rejected. And I think, I think that's what the world was so counter to because, because if you accept it, it requires a confession and a repentance, right? It, it accepts a, it brings to, to, to mind, I guess, a point where it's like you have to realize that you are wrong, that there's a brokenness inside of you, that there is something in your life. You have to acknowledge the wrong in your life and repent of that. And, 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 and I think that's a, that's a big pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um, we saw that with the religious leaders as in, in Jesus's day, right? Um, when Jesus would call them hypocrites and, and brood of vipers and, and all of these other names, right? Because they weren't willing to admit that the way they were living was not truly for God, but, but for all of these external reasons. And so if you accept the gospel, it's going to, to bring this idea of confession, repentance, and, and so many people are just not willing to admit that they're wrong. I think we just live in a culture that just kind of exudes this idea of like, no one's ever really wrong. Um, whatever, you know, that may be right for you in your context, and this may be right for me in my context, but there's no absolute right or wrong. Unless you're a Christian. Unless you're a Christian, right. <laughs> then you're wrong. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's a good, good, good point of clar- clarity there. Yeah, like there's, our culture just says that, you know what, we do so much, and, and we go to great lengths so that nobody is wrong, right? And so when, when the message of the gospel comes and it says that, no, you are wrong. Sin is in your life. You're broken, and you need Jesus in order to be right. Our culture just rejects that, right? They reject it. They don't accept They hate it. They hate being wrong. And in fact, Jesus, in, in John's gospel, in, in John chapter 3, uh, verse 19, Jesus talks about how the world's going to hate this. He tells, he, tells, he tells us that this is what's to be expected. Verse 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. At least his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, 
so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right? Jesus is saying that the world, the world hates the light. Why? Because it's evil and it's wicked. And, and, and I think we have to acknowledge that we live in a world that, that at the core is very much focused on themselves very much focused on on their things and so when jesus and the light comes into the world the world's going to hate that they're going to reject that and so because they reject the gospel and because they reject jesus then those that that come and carry the flag that come and carry the name of jesus are also going to be rejected i think another aspect of this that's important for us to understand as it relates to persecution is also what is persecution not right because, because we've talked a little bit about what persecution is, but I think it's also important just very practically as, as Christians that we realize that there are certain things that happen in our life that are not persecution. And so one of those is that there is this just result of living in a broken, fallen world. And so there are things in our world that are just broken and not the way they should be. And that's not necessarily because of persecution. You lose a job at work. That may not be because of persecution. That may be because of broken things in the world or broken choices that we make, our own sin even, in a lot of, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, right? Your boss may not hate you because you're a Christian. You just may be a bad employee, right? Like, let's just be honest. Like, you just may not be good at something, um, you know? Um, you know, something bad happens in life. That may not be because of persecution, it may just be because we live in a broken world. You know? There may be people in our lives that just hate us just because just because we live in a broken world and because hate's a part of our world. It may not be because we're following Jesus. Persecution is also not uh, is not always just things that happen to us, not always just because of a persecution. Sometimes it can be because of foolish decisions that we make. Right? Like sometimes we can just make poor decisions. I think this happens a lot. Um, in, in our world, the, the way that we, we, we talk and the way that things that we say a lot of times, we just say some really foolish things and then we get persecuted for it. And then we say, oh, oh, it's because I was a Christian. It was because I was... No, it's because you said something foolish. Like, it's because you should have just not said anything. Right? It doesn't have to be because, because you're persecuted uh, because of the name of Jesus. Maybe you're just being obnoxious or offensive or inappropriate, or radical, or overzealous about things. We have to be careful not to bring unnecessary suffering upon ourselves, for this is not pleasing to your Father in heaven, and receives no uh, condemnation. It only receives condemnation, right? Like, there's this idea that sometimes we can just kind of just say really, 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 really foolish things, and yet we get persecuted for it. Um, and that may not be because of our faith. It may not be because of Jesus. And so what does persecution look like for us today, right? Because we've kind of admitted already that, like, there's probably a very high likelihood that no one's going to bust in here in a few minutes and take us away to jail or kill us because of our faith, right? We live in a very protected, very easy um, place as far as it relates with persecution today in our country. So what what does persecution look like? What does it look like for us today to experience that? And I just kind of came up with three, three kind of main things. And, and again, there may be more uh, that could be added to this. These are just kind of the three that came to my mind. Um, one of those is exclusion. Exclusion, right? Like, we, we may all have a story or, or know someone who has a story of a time when, when you've been excluded from something because somebody knows that you're a follower of Jesus. 
right? In our culture, maybe one of the closest ways we get to persecution. There may be people who were, just like Jesus said in John, they're not, they're going to hate you, they're going to reject you just because they know that you carry the name of Jesus, right? And so there's an exclusion that may happen, right? There's an exclusion that could happen. Secondly, there may be a mockery that happens, right? They may make fun of you. Um, in our culture, there may be times that, that people are going to make fun of you because of what you hold true, because of things that, that you hold to. They may call you things like old-fashioned. They may call you things like a Jesus freak or a, or a Bible thumper or something like that, right? And so there may be mockery that comes in, in the form of persecution in our culture today. And then finally, s- separation. Separation. There may be this idea that, that you may have to separate yourself from things that the world is doing and that may bring some sense of persecution. But practically, that's kind of what it looks like for us today. And so what I want us to do is I want us just to take like a minute or two um, and just kind of get back together in our groups. And I want us to answer this question. Have you known anyone or have you personally experienced persecution for your faith? Has there ever been a moment where you've experienced any of that based on your faith? Or maybe it's somebody that you know that's been persecuted in a way for their faith. Let's just talk about what that looked like for just a minute and we'll come back together, okay? And so hopefully that gave you a little bit of time to talk about. Um, I think I think just kind of overhearing what, what everybody was talking about. Um, I think it would be fair to say, like we said in the beginning, like we probably never experienced harsh persecution or, or things maybe that we fear our lives, but, but definitely these ideas of exclusion and separation and, and get made, getting made fun of. Uh, we even talked about uh, loss of relationship is another big piece that, that happens sometimes, is that if you're committed to following Jesus, that that can somehow uh, break friendships and relationships. Um, and so Jesus says that blessed are those that are persecuted, right, for righteousness' sake, for following after him, uh, for living a righteous life that is, that is honoring to God. And then, and then he gives the promise, right? He says that the, the promise is that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that should trigger something in our mind, right? Because that goes back to the first promise that he made for, for blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's, he's tying these two together. Like there's, there's something about this idea of being spiritually broken um, that plays into this idea of being persecuted. Like he's, these promises go together. He's kind of starting and ending with the same promise. And, and I think it's just this reminder that, yes, things may be tough now and as you're going through this persecution, but look to the future, right? Because, because there's something that's greater that's laying ahead of us, right? And he promises the kingdom of heaven. And so just as a reminder, what we talked about um, when we were talking about the poor in spirit, we said that the kingdom of heaven is this, is this place, this sphere, right? That's both present and also future. It's this sphere in which God and Jesus are acknowledged as king, right? It's this coming together of heaven and earth, this, this kingdom of God. And so there's a very present reality for believers is that we're living in God's kingdom as kingdom people. But then there's an ultimate fulfillment of this. One day we know that things are going to be perfected and we are going to be with our Savior. And so uh, today we, we kind of live in the gap. We live in that in-between place of the already but the not yet. That's why the Bible refers to us as, as like sojourners 
and, and wanderers or aliens that are just kind of passing through, right? Like there's this idea that we are living for God and for his kingdom, but yet we're living in a world that is not completely his yet, um, that is still under the power and the reign of the prince of the darkness. And so, um, but Jesus is saying like when this persecution comes, just be encouraged because there's something greater that's ahead. And then Jesus does something very interesting here with this last one. He gives us some further explanation of persecution and how we should handle this. And I think this is very interesting. And, and I don't know why he does this, but I think that maybe Jesus knew that this was going to be hard. This is going to be a hard beatitude for us to take. It is hard when true, genuine persecution comes. And so Jesus gives a further explanation in, in, in verses 11 and 12. And I found this very helpful. And what I would like us to do is look at what Jesus said and use that as application in our life. In these last two verses, look at what Jesus says, and then we, 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 we look at that in relationship to our perspective on persecution. Right? I think perspective is so important when it comes to persecution. And even though most of us will probably never experience a point where our lives are on the line, when we go through those situations, those loss of relationships, or those moments where we are isolated, or those moments that we're getting made fun of for our faith, I feel like our perception on that persecution is what makes all the difference. Am I going to look at this persecution? Am I going to allow it to defeat me and, and, and kind of render me useless for the gospel? Or am I going to look at it in the context that Jesus says here? And I'm going to allow that to kind of push me in my faith to following closer and closer after God. And so what should our perspective be on persecution? Well, I think first and foremost, we should expect persecution. It's the first thing Jesus is going to say, right? He says in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. There's this idea that we need to be expecting that it's going to come. Right? We shouldn't be caught off guard. But if we live in such a way that we reflect the gospel, then we should expect those things to come. And so let me ask, let me just ask you, I'm asking myself in the, in the same moment, like, how do we view it when other people insult us? Right? How do we take that? Right? It's hard. It's hard when somebody says something hateful about you to take that reflectively and say, you know what, I should expect that because I'm a follower of Jesus. Right In that moment, like I just want to lash back out at that person. But how do I view that? Do I view that as a mark of, hey, I'm actually following Jesus in the way he's called me to follow him? How do we, how do we handle when somebody attacks us, right? When they make a personal attack. When it seems like they have a personal agenda just to, to tear us down to the lowest point because of our faith, right? I go back and think about that, that word for persecution, and I think about that, that predator that's just, that's just constantly pursuing its prey until it kills it, right? How do I react in that moment when I feel like that there's somebody else that's just constantly trying to attack me? Do I say, man, I should expect this because I'm a follower of Jesus? Or do I let it get me down? Let me, makes me useless for the gospel. And how do we react when other people lie or accuse us? And I think that may be one of the hardest parts, right? If you've ever been in a situation in your life where someone has falsely accused you of something, like that's hard. That's hard to walk away from. Uh, that's hard not to just let that kind of consume you, right? But if, but if, as what Jesus says, if it's true, 
then people are going to do that. They're going to make false accusations against you on his account, right? They're going to come up with things and say things that aren't true about you. And in that moment, are we going to be able to stand in that moment on the conviction and the truth that what we know is true in Christ? Are we going to fall under that person's accusations and under their lies? See, we got to be we got to remember that, just like we said a few minutes ago, they they do they are doing this because they've rejected Christ. They did all of those things to Jesus. They reviled him and they hated him and they persecuted him. They made up false things about him, and so we should expect the same thing to be true of us. Just want to read another place in in the Gospels that Jesus talks about this. As he's as he's Jesus is getting ready to send out his disciples to go out to the world and to start to start their ministry to start ministering to the world. In Matthew chapter ten, verse sixteen, here's what Jesus says. He says, "Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." I love that perspective that Jesus gives there. Right? There's this idea that as we go out into the world, like, I'm going to send you out as, as sheep, as these helpless sheep in the midst of these ravenous wolves that are just going to consume you. And so what does he tell you to do? He says, first of all, he said, you got to be wise as serpents, right? The, the serpent was like the wisest animal um, in, in, in the culture, right? And so we got to be wise in what we do. We, we can't just make foolish decisions, but at the same time, we have to be innocent in our approach to that. Just because someone is, is making up false accusations and just because someone else is being hateful to us doesn't give us the right to turn around and do the same to them. But we must be wise and gentle in our approach. Verse 7, 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. And when they deliver you, to the kings for my sake. I'm sorry. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious for what you will speak or what you are going to say. For what you are going to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and child will rise against his parents and have them put to get death. And you will be hated uh, for, for, for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher. There we get that phrase again. Nor a servant above his master. It is not enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Right? We need to expect persecution that it's going to come, right? That's the first perspective we need to have is, is we need to have an expectation so that when persecution does come, we're not caught off guard, right? I think there is a witness that we bring to the world when the world persecutes us and we're able to stand in the persecution, standing on who we are in Christ and withstand that persecution. There's a testimony to the world that happens in that moment. It's not an easy testimony, but, I mean, if, if we look across our world and we look across um, Christians in our world, right, some of the, the strongest testimonies that we hear are those that stood strong in the face of persecution. And so we should expect persecution. But also we must keep our focus on the future. Right? We must keep our focus on 
the future. In verse 12, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Seems like, seems like a paradox, doesn't it, right? Rejoice and be glad in persecution. I don't remember the last time that someone made fun of me and I was just like, Thank you, Lord. I needed that today. Um, just thank you for that person really humiliating me and making me feel awful uh, or making fun of me, right? But Jesus says that we need to be glad and rejoice, right? Because there's something greater that awaits us. And I think that's the reminder that we just, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about the church of when we come together is that it's this reminder. We get to come together and remind one another that we're living for something greater than just this life. And as great as this life is and as great as the things are that we get to experience in this life, like ultimately the mark of a Christian is someone who lives for something greater. Right? We're not living for what we can see. We're not living for what's at this present time. It reminds me of when we were studying Romans chapter 8 together. And in verse 18, Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He goes on, he says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility and not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to the corruption and to obtaining the freedom, the glory of the children of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23, though, Paul says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For, for who hopes for what, is, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So this idea that, man, we have this hope within us as followers of Jesus. And even though persecution may come, we have to keep our perspective on what's ahead of us. We have to keep our perspective on what's coming one day. And that's how we can be glad and have joy in the midst of persecution. It's when our, when our hope is not on our present circumstances. And that's really hard when it comes to persecution, isn't it? Like, think about that for just a minute. Like, it's really hard to be in the midst of humiliation or be in the midst of persecution and not have all of your thoughts put on that, right? I was just talking with somebody um, about worry, and, and I'm, a huge, I'm a huge worrier. It's just like part of my DNA, I think. Um, it's something that I've struggled with all of my life. And one of the hardest things to do is when you're worried about something in that moment, not to let that consume everything that you're thinking about. And I think it's the same way with persecution, right? If you've ever been in that situation when you feel like somebody is persecuting you, whether that was for Jesus or for another reason, it's so hard to, to kind of let that go and not let that consume everything in your mind. But yet when we can put our minds on Christ and what's ahead and what he's promised us, I think that's the perspective that keeps us going in the midst of persecution. And then finally, a final part of our perspective we need to have is to remember that you're not alone. Right? That we're not alone. God is with us. Jesus is with us. We have the Spirit living in us. What does Jesus also say? He says, for your, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is throwing out this reminder that, you know what? persecution didn't start with you it's not going to end with you 
right? And there's something that can build our faith when we can look back to the saints that have gone through persecution before. We can look to them and to their testimony that can strengthen us in that moment. When we can go back and we can look at the stories and the testimonies of those men and women who laid down their life gladly for the sake of Christ, we can be strengthened in our faith. I love how the writer of Hebrews uh, in, in Hebrews 11, which is sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith, the great chapter on faith, as, as, as the, the writer records some of the things that happened, uh, some of the persecution that came to these saints that came before us. Uh, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For, for time would fail me to speak of, of Gideon and, and Barak and Samson and Jepheth, uh, and, and of David and, and Samuel the prophet, who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the power of fire and escaped the edge of the sword and were, were made strong out of weakness and mighty became mighty in war and put foreign enemies to flight. Women who received their dead back by resurrection. I'm going to stop right there because... Up until that point, that all sounds like good things, right? As I read that, I'm just like, I want some of that, right? I want some of that power to like stop enemies and to quench fires and to, to do all this stuff. But look at who he also includes in there. He said, but some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might raise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They, were, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, They, to, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all those, though, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Right? There's this idea that that when we can look at, at, at those who have come before us, right, that, 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 that somehow should encourage us in our beliefs. And that should somehow encourage us to be reminded that, that this is going to happen. That, that persecution is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I think that's why Jesus includes that in there. And there's story after story that tell us of that. And so before we wrap up, I want us to take just a couple more minutes and I want us to discuss this, this, last, this last question. And that, that question is this. What is the one thing or what, is, what are some things that we need to do in our lives so that we become known as followers of Jesus, right? We said in the beginning that a lot of times we may not receive persecution because the world may not see us as followers of Jesus, Right? One of the reasons we may not be persecuted, we may not feel persecution, is because, because the world doesn't know. Right, because, because our lives are not lived in such a way that they just scream of Jesus. What are some things in our lives, and I want us just to take time to discuss that, that we can do to help others know that we follow Jesus? And all the while knowing that that may bring persecution. And So let's just take a couple minutes and discuss that last question together. Well, um, we, as we kind of wrap this up and we, we think about, you know, as we think about persecution and so we think about all those things that uh, go into that, we think about our perspective on that. We were just talking about, um, you know, 
how do we how do we live uh, live and, and expect persecution to happen? How do we look to the future? All of those sort of things. Um, I just want to read, um, and this is the beginning. So so we just read from Hebrews eleven talking about those that that ultimately endured the persecution. Um, but I want to read the beginning of the next chapter as the writer of Hebrews starts out. He picks up on this theme that he just stopped about those that have been persecuted and given up their lives for the gospel. In verse 12, he says this, Therefore, right, tying us back to what he just said about those witnesses, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's the encouragement for me. Um, as I look to Jesus, right, that gives me the boldness that we were talking about in our group to share and to say the things I need to say. That gives me the boldness to stand in the midst of the persecution. That gives me the boldness to, to have those uncomfortable conversations that I know may cost me a relationship. Um, and that's just where I would want to challenge all of us today is that for, for the sake of Christ, who endured the cross because if he because as he just as he took on the despisings and the shame that came with the cross right and now is is seated with God as I look to him that gives me the boldness I need to stand in the midst of persecution to live in such a way that my life would be worth persecuting and so as we kind of wrap up today um, I just want to ask you this question uh, if you're not experiencing persecution as as we said most of us probably are not. We need to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that's worth persecuting? I think that's the walk away probably for most of us today, right? Am I living my life in such a way that there's something that's worth persecuting me for? And I want to just kind of end with this last quote. And may this never, and again, we just read this, but may this never be true of our lives. But it's this, the greatest criticism of the church today is that no one wants to persecute it because there is nothing very much to persecute about it, right? May that not be true of our lives. May there be a mark of Jesus that's so deep and so true in our lives that the world wants to persecute us, right? Because that's where the blessing comes. Not that we're just these crazy people that are looking to get persecuted, but in persecution that it's a sign that we're following in the footsteps of our Savior. And so as we, as we wrap up today, as we, as we close in prayer, may that just be the meditation of our hearts today. The, the cry of our hearts is that we may live a life uh, that, that, that models the life of our Savior who uh, had a life of persecution. So let's, let's just lift this up to the Father together. So God, we, we thank you, Lord, for what you say in your word that truly blessed are those who are persecuted. Truly blessed are those who... God, that, that would pick up your name and because of your namesake and because of the banner of Jesus that would re- receive ourselves persecution, that we would, God, endure that persecution, God. And in those moments, God, if we are bold enough to live for you and our lives are, are, are living, um, God, just being poured out for you and persecution comes, God, I just pray that we would have the strength And you would give us the courage to stand in that persecution, God. In those moments that we would look to you, God, that you would receive glory. That people, that men would be called to you, God, through the persecution that we may go through in our lives. God, 
May we be counted worthy of, of carrying the cross in our own lives. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, that he is our example. Um, God, goes before us and that he is our example is the one that, God, we want to live our lives uh, in the same manner. And so it's it's in his name, God, that we, we lift up this praise to you, God, that we lift up our lives, God, even as we sing this last song of response to you, God, that no matter what we have going on in our lives, God, may we follow you completely and wholeheartedly, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Ross and Holly, if you guys want to come up and lead us in this last song together. All right, so I was thinking this week, knowing that we were going to be talking about persecution, and it made me think of this song. Um, it's an old hymn. Uh, it's called, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. Uh, but the story behind it is really cool and has a lot to do with this idea of persecution and standing up for what you believe in. So um, it was, the story takes place in the 1880s in India. There was a Welsh missionary uh, who went to the area of Assam in southern India. Uh, and after years of years of living in this area, uh, he only had one man actually convert uh, and decide to follow Jesus. Uh, his name was Nuxang. Uh, he's from the Garo tribe. Uh, and so this Welsh missionary returned and left. Uh, and the tr- local tribal leader found out about this guy that had uh, joined the followers of, of Jesus. And so he brought this man's family before the tribe uh, and uh, was going to execute them. Uh, and went to Noxang and said, uh, you know, you need to give up and stop following Jesus. Um, and people that were there reported that he said, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And at that point, the tribal leader uh, killed his children in front of him um, and again asked him to give up uh, his following of Jesus. Um, And then kneeling there, he gestured and said, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Uh, At that point, the tribal leader uh, killed his wife in front of him as well. and again, it demanded that he give up following Jesus. Uh, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Um, and at that point, uh, he was also executed. Word got back to this Welsh missionary about the story, and he came back to this village. Uh, and that tribal leader um, had also given his life to Jesus because he couldn't understand why this man was willing to die. Um, for this uh, person. And so uh, today as we sing the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus, um, thinking about the story behind it uh, and singing it out as an anthem um, when we endure persecution, uh, that we will not turn back as well.